0: So anyway, uh, if you join me, please join me in First John, chapter two verses 15 to 17. First John, chapter 2: 15 to 17. I'm going to continue the series on genuine Christianity. Of course, the title itself suggests that there could be a false Christianity. A counterfeit Christianity, and there sure is, but there's also a genuine Christianity, and that's what we've been looking at for the last two Sundays. At first, we looked at love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is liken unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, and then you obey Him in Romans. You obey uh, His commands. Last week we looked at sin, that we do sin, that we do fall short of the glory of God, but that God forgives sin. We find ourselves today looking at the world. (laughs) It's a lot to to unpack, and I know you're looking at your outline going, Pastor Mike goes 45 minutes on two points. How are we going to get through three? So just want to let you know I do have my clock here. I'm watching, and if I have to speed up or slow down, I can make the adjustments. So the context here. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, John talks about loving your brother, particularly verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going because his eyes are blinded. So he talks about love, The love of your brothers is one of the key elements in a fellowship with God. Then he commends different groups in the church. I am writing you little children because your sins are forgiven. I am writing you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. I am writing you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So... John talks about loving in chapter 2 of 1 John, talks about loving the brotherhood and then commends the church for overcoming Satan and his his attacks. Daniel Aiken gives a really good overview of these three verses. I, I find it helpful to catch the flow. Love of the world comes from the world, and the world will pass away. Love of the Father comes from the Father. The one who obeys remains forever. So that's a pretty good summary of where we're going to be going today with this sermon. Let me say this, kind of right up front. The world is a mess. The world in which we live is a mess. And as believers, we should recognize this mess and learn to stay away from it. Anyway, let's look at what John tells us this morning. First of all, don't love the world. Don't love the world. John writes in 15a, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not. The Greek word there, may, is a present imperative, meaning that it's not open to adjudication. That means that we, we can't debate this issue. This is something that is not debatable, not negotiable with God. This is something that we do. So in the Greek language, there's two possible interpretations. Some say that these readers are actually guilty of loving the world. However, we just read where he's commending the church for overcoming the evil one, commending the church for living for Christ. So it can't be that. But it can refer to a present danger that needs constant guarding. And I think when he says, do not love the world, it is a warning of carefulness and caution as we live our Christian life in the world. The word love is agapao, which means to consider something of great value. So when we look at the world today and the things that are in the world, Their value system is totally different than our value system. We see things differently, or at least we should see things differently. Now, this word world, uh, many confuse this world. It's cosmos, not cosmos. That's two different words. Cosmos refers to an ordered system, a man-made system, meaning the fallen nature of man. It is a system of living. So when John is saying... Do not love the world. Do not appraise the world the way that the world appraises the things of this world. Um, what this doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean is God's creation. Uh, and In fact, probably right here, maybe, I would set up a tent. You're real close to water there. Beautiful scenery. Look, look at the mountains. Beautiful. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about do not love the world because God created the world. And yes, we'll get into that in just a minute about the world. But uh, it's okay to love nature. It's okay to uh, marvel at the beauty of of what God has created. And when I think about what God has created, I've always been fascinated with the moon. I love the moon. I take pictures of the moon. I look through my telescope at the moon. So he's not saying don't love that. But he's telling us and warning us here, John is, that we're not to love the world system. That we should be moved away from the world system. That we should not view it the way that they view things. Uh, This week, uh, a childhood friend that I grew up with uh, played Pop Warner football against him. And I couldn't wait to tackle him because he played for the Vikings. I think I was on the Cardinals, and uh, I was a little kid, but they had me as a linebacker. I don't know why, but I remember Steve rolling to the right, and I said, "I'm coming for you, and I go to grab him, and he dodges me, and I fall flat on my face, but I, I always and I did tackle him a few times. But Steve posted a picture of this card this week. So be very careful what you post on Facebook, because it could find your way into my sermon notes.) <laughs> um, so my childhood friend posted a picture of this car, and he said this was, I think it was Sunday night or Monday, he said, I'm flying out uh, Tuesday to go to the dealership to pick it up and trade in my Porsche. So I was going to put a like on it, make a comment, and then I just did a quick research <laughs> what this car cost. This car cost anywhere from 350000 to $450,000. And he said this, I don't plan on driving it much. (laughs) Okay, yeah, it is a pretty car. It's cool, but I'm thinking as as a believer, do we really need this kind of stuff? I mean, how big of a house do we need? How big of a car, a nice car do we need? I mean, can that money be spent better elsewhere? See, when we look at the world today, it is all about the accumulation of stuff and wealth and all of these different uh, ideas. And, and while he's got the money to do this, uh, my, my friend obviously is not saved, and maybe I can talk to him in the future about salvation. But that's a lot of money for a car. That is a lot. Particularly one that you're not going to drive that often. And I know when you, get, you have more money, that'd be like spending $13,000. They say, well, it's, it's, it's equitable. You know, you, you buy a car that's 5000 I can afford one that's 120000 It's still money. And so this is what John's worry about. Do not love the world or the thanes in the world. Thanes. Ho. That's the Greek word. Has many different meanings but the primary meaning refers to anything among fallen humanity it can refer to mindset it can refer to worldview or the ways of the world so John is telling us point-blank be careful don't get caught in the trap don't get uh, caught up in what the world sees as valuable Uh, years years ago I don't know, it was probably in the 80s. Uh, That's been the last time I've ever seen the Grammys. And really, when you think about that kind of system, they're giving trophies for stuff that's going to be burned up, that will not last, that is worthless. And I fell under conviction, even as a young believer, just not to watch that kind of stuff. Because it glorifies man. It doesn't glorify God. And then there was the, I saw it on probably YouTube or whatever, uh, Kathy Lee Griffin, when she held it up and she said, this is my God. And I, 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 of course, again, I haven't watched this in years. It's been, I don't know, 85, 95, 30 years. I have not seen any of that because it glorifies man. It glorifies humanity. And yeah, it's just crazy. And so we, we need to be careful as believers. And then there is a warning in 2.15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. This is very difficult to translate. I probably spent more time on this verse than any verse in, in the text that we're reading today. So it's very difficult to translate. This word if can mean, remember there's four classes of conditional statements in the Greek language. The first is that it assumes that the assumption is true. Well, we can't say that. Uh, this is a warning, so it can't be that one. It could be that the, fa- that the statement is false. That's the second class. Third class, it's probable that it is going to happen. And the fourth class, which is where I think this falls, is less, a less probable condition. Of course it's less probable, because believers won't live like the world. They won't look at the way the world does things, and go. I want that. They won't do that. That's less probable. Some maybe do. I've known some rich businessmen that have been Christians. Some of them are right there, and they understand uh, that their money is given to them by God, and they and they reinvest that money in in Christian endeavors. And then I've met some believers who uh, they they just go off the deep end with every new gadget. They have to have it. They have to. They, they want it. So it's a very slight chance that John is telling these believers that uh, it's a warning. It's more than anything, it is a warning. Uh, I like what Andrew said in his commentary. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Does it mean that if we do love the world, God does not love us? Or does it mean we do not love God? Good Bible students stand opposed on both sides of this question. The context leads me, and I agree with this, if we love the world, we are not loving God. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus said. So, when we think about these things that the world offers, it it, it doesn't mean that we can't have nice things, But we gotta be careful that the nice things don't possess us. And uh, be willing to share what we have. Uh, Many that have been given a lot, much is required. It it doesn't mean that we can't have nice things. But it does mean we have to be very careful about what God has given us. And use it wisely, kingdom wise. Or we, we run the risk of running into this worldly mindset well, now I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and it's mine. And we have to be very, very careful about that and watch. Secondly, or its trappings. And what I, I've entitled this, the unholy trinity. Now, Colin Cruz notes that the main point of this verse is to explain why love for the world is inca- incompatible with love for God. Look at verse 16a. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Here you have what is called, at least what I term, is the unholy trinity. You have uh, the desires of the sarks. You have the lust of the eyes. And you have the pride of life. So this is the unholy trinity. David Jackman writes this the worldly characteristic which this verse speaks are, in fact, reactions going on inside of us as we contemplate the environment outside. So when we think about this, the word desires, epithumia, epithumia to strong, listen to this, this is interesting, to strongly desire to have what belongs to someone else. Or, to engage in an activity that is morally wrong. So, to desire something that somebody else has, which is coveting. Or, something that is immoral. That is out of bounds for believers. It means to covet, to lust, evil desires, and a lot of things go with it. So, this unholy trinity... There's threefold trappings to it. First of all, the flesh, the sarks That's who we are as individuals, which is the sinfulness of man. This is a general category. He's going to tree it down here in just a second. But you have this general category of what the flesh wants. We want revenge. We want, we want all of these things. All of these things are in bounds when it comes to talking about the unholy trinity or the things of the world. So if I desire something, I want it bad enough, even though I know it is not of God, if I go to get it, that goes back to the cravings of a sinful nature. Now, secondly, and this is very important, because uh, what we just read from David Jackman is, is true. How we view the world has already taken place in our hearts. So when we get to the eyes, they stimulate the cravings. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Eve saw that the apple was pleasing. And she grabbed it. It was something that had already been inside of her. The way that she saw it was totally different. How about King David, a man after God's own heart? He's upstairs and he's looking down at Bathsheba. Saw that she was beautiful, had to have it. So the issue here becomes the eyes will entice that desire. It can be anything, anything. Uh, you, you look at that house and you go, boy, I'd like to have that 15-bedroom mansion. Why? Dr. Lee, my Old Testament professor, was talking about uh, King Solomon, and he's thinking, how many bedrooms do you need? How many of them can you sleep in a night? I mean, if you got up every hour, you could maybe... Uh, do it, but uh, how much do you need? What do you really need? So what we see and how we perceive it has already been taking place in our hearts. So that's what arouses that desire. It's, It's really the way that we view our world. How do we see what we are looking at? What do we place value on? That doesn't mean we can't have fun and we can't goof around. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we need to be careful with those things that are clear in Scripture that we should not be dabbling in, that we should not be messing with. And then he mentions here the pride of life. That is arrogance in one's possessions. By the way, I would like to remind us all that whatever you have has been given to you by God. You realize that? None of us own anything. Not even our very lives. We were bought with a price. Therefore, we come under the lordship of Christ and we follow him. And it's a, it's a dicey area when we begin starting to look at the world the way that the world views the world, which is temporal and transitory. And that we need to be very careful in our Christian walk that as we live for Christ that we get a correct view of the world. This leads obviously to a conclusion from John about fallen humanity. This type of living is not from the Father but from the world. These are worldly views that have nothing in common with the kingdom of God or his views. So as we live our lives for Christ, we need to be careful about it. Daniel Akin writes this, Pride, prestige, and power and position count for nothing in the kingdom of God. The value system of this world is turned on its head when God provides the evaluation. Why do churches get into trouble? It happens in a Christian church as well. Well, it really happens when factions in the church want control. Or when a pastor decides that he is above everything and has a power grab on the church. And this, be, and this is just on a basic level. But when you go outside the doors, okay, let me, let, let me say this. Nothing wrong with wanting to advance in your church. Work. The problem becomes is when that advancement leads you to do immoral things, or to make bad decisions, or to step on whoever you want to to get to that position, that becomes a problem. There's nothing wrong with wanting to advance in your, in your station of life. Nothing at all wrong with that. But you also have to check and balance it against why do I want this how can this actually help the christian church how can this help my family first and foremost and ultimately how this will advance the, the the kingdom of god and again i've met wonderful christian businessmen i've been the recipients of some of their uh abundance i've been recipients of it and i you know I'm, I'm, I'm not talking a hundred dollars. I'm talking thousands of dollars. And then I have to be careful what I do with that. And it's quite humbling when somebody gives you that amount. And then you have to try to figure out, okay, what do I do with this money? And so that's what we need to be careful about. This, this worldly system in which we live. Friday... I was driving back and uh, somebody just texted me. (laughs) Friday, I was driving back from the VA. I had to get some blood work in conjunction with this little machine and some other issues. And I was driving back and I said, I'll I'll see what the kids are listening to on Pagan 101. It was a big, big, big mistake. Uh, This worldly system, it's all about immorality it's all about what's in it for me it's not about thinking about the other person and this is the world system so what do we do as believers well we should this is a way of auto correcting set your minds on things above not on things of the earth that means keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom of God and things of this world will not make any difference. Because see, the thing is brothers and sisters, we play by a different set of rules. We do not admire the things of the world, nor do we want the things of the world. Uh, we want the things of God and that's, that should be our driving focus. You know, if If we were to do this on on Monday morning. If we were to get up. Or even when we leave here. And say you know what. I'm going to focus. I'm going to ask God to help me change. How I view the world around me. If we were to do that. I wonder how many decisions that we make this coming week. Would be radically changed by what. How we view things. So there's a. There's an old children's song, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little hands what you touch. That's, even at a child's age, is a pretty good idea, a pretty good way of viewing things. So if we're not supposed to have this worldview, and we're supposed to not be involved with the world, or participate in worldly things... And one, one more quick thing here. There may be times when uh, you're, you're confronted with this in, in your life about whether to attend this event or attend this event or do this. Uh, this is just pastoral advice here. If it's immoral, if it's not God, then I think you're okay to say no. And then you can nicely say, I'm a believer and I don't want to participate in that kind of stuff. So... Don't love the world or its trappings, but what do we do instead of that? John tells us very clearly here. Do God's will. Do God's will. Verse 17a. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Perago, perago, Passing away meaning it will eventually cease to exist. Now, with any... With any given translation or interpretation in the scripture, you'll find a multitude of different views. I'm going to give you two of them that might help you understand. Some view it as creation. Look at that mess. Some view it that the creation, God's beauty, is being destroyed and actually it is. Being destroyed, whether you, uh, climate change or whatever, the fact is the world, the world in which we live, the physical world, is dying. How do we know that? Well, Paul writes in Romans, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. It's because of the fallen nature of man which destroys God's creation but I don't think that's what John's talking about here in light of what he's been saying. Yes, that is absolutely true that the creation someday it's going to be completely remade. And one one thing that, when I get to heaven, I'll find out. But um, one thing that I was, I love the sea. I love sea animals. And when we get the new world, there won't be any sea. No dolphins. Maybe dolphins hop along the, the ground. But yeah, it's, It's going to be a new world. It's going to be made over again. And this time it will be without sin. There won't be any sin involved in it. God himself will walk among us. So yes, the creation is in bad shape right now. And it's continuing to be in bad shape. But given the fact of what we've just said. The best choice. The best translation for this. Is the evil satanic system will cease to exist. All the world's stuff and the world's ways, all of the godlessness that we are encountering right now, that will cease, that will be done, that will be done away with. The word desire, passing away with its desire, is the evil desires, the lust, and the greed. And that also eliminates this, although that is a byproduct of the desires to build better things, to Uh, do all kinds of stuff in this world. D. Edmund Hebert, one of my favorite theologians, wrote this, The process is now operative in the lives of individuals, but one day this world system of evil will be swept off the scene in a cataclysmic judgment at the return of Christ. We read in the scripture that in the last days men will be lovers of self, haters of God. We're in those days. We're in those days, brothers and sisters, right now. This is the world we live in. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, yes, Lord, please come. Because it's only going to get worse. This is a great sermon for you. (laughs) It's only going to get worse, but it's true. So what we do as believers is not focus on temporal, because that's going to be done away with. But we focus on the eternal. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Thelema is the word for will. It can mean multiple things. Desire, wish, or hope. But here, I think it refers to what God wants. The word abide, menon which refers to living forever. So the believer has to do the will of God, what God wants in our lives. That's the goal of the Christian walk. It's not to live like the world, it's to live how God wants us to live, and you have to make a decision. I mean, you just have to say, okay, today and move forward, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, not what the world says I should do. I've said this for 14 years. I've been your pastor 14 years. You haven't gotten rid of me yet, so I don't know. We know God's will. This, this list I wrote out in two and a half minutes there at my desk. I just started writing stuff. This is what came to me. Love him, love others. Purity of life. God, we know God wants us to live our lives purely. Be holy for I am holy. Honesty, humility, evangelism. God wants us to evangelize the world. These are things that we know are God's will. These are things that God wants us to do. Serving. We're to serve one another. And we're to be serving in the church. We're to be doing those things. Not just in the church, but outside the church. A neighbor's hurting. Go over there, help them. You know that's God's will. A second group that I wrote up was compassion. Have a little compassion with people. Encourage. Be an encourager. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe it can lead to evangelism opportunities with the unsaved. Prayer. We know that's God's will. We should be praying. I like the Jewish approach. Pray in the morning, pray at noon, pray at night. Keeps us in the Prayer connection. Bible study. We all know that it's God's will that we get in here and read because our lives reflect what we read. So if we're not reading the word, it shouldn't surprise us that we're living like the world. That shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't shouldn't be a huge surprise. One of the best things I ever did was on a bunk in Korea when I read the book of Galatians. That radically changed the way I viewed things. I didn't have a degrees, didn't have all the training. And it radically changed my view of the world. And it was just a few chapters. But I was like, wow. And it changed my life. See, if we get in the Word, it will change your life. It will challenge some things, some areas in your life. And when those, chal- when those areas are challenged, you say, okay, I know this is what the world says, but I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do it his way. The Bible study, forgiveness, church attendance, dedication, all of these things we know are God's will. And I, I, I could have gone on and made another list probably within 10 minutes, I could have had 50 things that I know for sure is God's will. In fact, when you go home today, Maybe after lunch or whatever, just sit there and write down things that you know is God's will and then go back in and look them up. This will, this will get you in the Bible too. Go back to a concordance. This doesn't have it because it's a pulpit Bible, but um, go back to the concordance and look up those words, love him. Well, one of them we just preached two weeks ago. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likening unto it, love your neighbors as yourself. That's That's what came to mind sitting there at my desk just jotting these things down as quickly as I could. Like I said, it took me about three minutes, two, three minutes to write this list. So, in conclusion, I think there's three things that we need to do. First of all, we need to guard against developing a worldview or adopting their ways. So today, when you leave here, if you're not staying for Sunday school, today when you're out there, just say, okay, I'm going to get God's view of the world. Secondly, train your mind to seek things of the kingdom of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of this world. And then seek to do God's will with your life. And sometimes, um, just asking the question, is this morally wrong uh, is it, does it violate any scripture that you know of? And, and, and that's a way of determining if you should do something or not. Is this going to hurt the kingdom of God if I do this event? And sometimes we just do things, and I do it too. I mean, we're, none of us are perfect. But doing this thing, will it bring honor to the kingdom? Maybe that's a better question. Will it bring honor to the kingdom? Or will it bring honor to me?